0: You are listening to WXO JLP Northampton 103.3 FM. Welcome. I'm Warren Odest and this is Up A High Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that examines contemporary issues based on the principles of the Baha'i Faith. On today's program, I'm going to play an interview conducted by Leif Hansen from his Bleeding Purple podcast. Leif describes his podcast as, quote, "...the musings, interviews, and audio experimentations of a guy attempting to stretch between the best of blue and red." Subject matter mostly revolves around honestly exploring spirituality, creativity, and various other wild topics. This is not a political podcast, though it does occasionally try and get at issues behind the politics, unquote. The interview I'm playing today is Leif Hansen interviewing Pasha Mahajar Jaspi, a Bahai from the Washington State area. You can find more information about Leif's podcast at the website www. Wonderosity.org. That's dot Y.org. For information specifically about the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org. That's B A H A I.org. Or you can call the toll free number 1 800 22 Unite. Here is Leif Hansen's interview with Pasha Mahajar Jaspi.
1: Would you like to tell us? How you came to share in Baha'i faith? Well, it's it's kind of
2: a long story, but I was raised a Lutheran. Mm-hmm. I didn't make it to um, confirmation class much to my grandmother's dismay. I think we started <laughs> confirmation maybe in, at eleven or twelve years old. And then I think my mom, because she was raising three daughters on her own, we started at the Pentecostal church because they had a church bus that picked you up on Sunday morning Uh and we went to Sunday school. And so my mom could have a day off. Uh (laughs) So I really think it was a practical consideration on my mom's How was that experience It was, I mean, it was fine. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it was like all one religion, Mm -hmm. which it is. It's the teachings of Jesus just sort of practiced in different ways. So consequently, I really loved Jesus Christ and took it very seriously, my own salvation and the salvation of others. And um, then as I got older in my puberty years and young adulthood, well, 17, 18, I started to, you know, just kind of have questions about things. And um, I would go to choir practice on Sunday night, Bible study on Monday night, you know, youth group on Wednesday night. I was really active in my church <laughs> and um, just started, you know asking some questions of the youth leaders and pastors and stuff and I really wasn't finding adequate response. So, um I then began to study the Mormon faith and a very good friend of mine in this high was, school.
1: This okay high school. Yeah,
2: this was back in the caveman days in nineteen <laughs> let's see. Oh well before we had IPod casting, broadcasting, whatever. Um Well, I graduated high school in 73, so you do the math listening audience, figure out how old I am. Um, 25. Yeah. uh, (laughs) So anyway, she was my very good friend in high school, and she was a Mormon, and I really liked um, how their family was with each other and things that they did. So I started going to seminary with her, and that was at 6 o'clock in the morning before school, and we'd have like an hour class at the local stake center, the local ward, which is the LDS Church mm-hmm. and I learned some of the basic principles of the Mormon faith and I really liked their family yeah. unity and activities for the youth and all that kind of stuff so it was um, maybe about a week before I was to be baptized into the Mormon Church that I, mind you now I'm going home praying to Jesus every night for guidance and mm-hmm. please show me the way give me a sign, all that stuff and um, I just, something just, I wasn't peaceful in my heart. I don't know what it was. And I called my girlfriend, like, about three days before the baptism, and I said, I just can't do it. It would be dishonest of me to go ahead with it. I, there's something not right in me. You know, nothing about the religion, but something not right in me. And she said, well, you know, fine, you're going to hell. Bye. And never spoke to me again after that. <laughs> and you said,
1: that gives well, me a little sense of what didn't no, feel right. No, well, no, I mean, then that was
2: her personally. You know, right. that doesn't mean yeah. she's representing the Mormon sure, teaching. So, sure I
1: um,
2: so, you know, that was the end of that beautiful friendship, <laughs> what I thought was a friendship. But anyway... So I really was emotionally and spiritually drained because I had really been searching. You know, even though I I, I was like really, because I love God and I love Jesus. And so I just felt like I wanted more than whatever I had. So I took a break. I prayed and I said, you know, I still love you. I still care about you, but I'm just going to be a summer beach bunny volleyball player on Alki Beach in Seattle. (laughs) So that was the summer of my high school graduation and I um, went and you know just kind of hung out with my friends and really just gave myself a mental break from thinking about too many deep things. Well meanwhile on the radio, this is way before your time, there was a local disc jockey in Seattle Um, so his name was Burl Bear and he was a disc jockey on KOL which was AM 1600 on your radio dial. Why oh,
1: do you say that so nice? And
2: they, um, you know, Could played Could you just keep play- <laughs> talking in that in a radio? Yeah, no, <laughs> on no, that radio, so hi everybody. <laughs> so he, they played like all the current pop hits and everything. So that was my station that I always had it turned to. And I just loved his voice. It was like deep and booming and very self-confident and whatever. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to go out on a date with that guy. I'm going to go meet him. And go out on a date with She says, oh my God, I did not raise you to be like that. <laughs> it's like, oh mother, come on. You raised me to be independent, think for myself and go after what I want. So this is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so now what I'm about to tell you is based on a complete lie. So this is how I found out about the Baha'i faith was through lie and deception. So I had just graduated from high school, I was 18, and I wrote a letter to the radio station. Dear Mr. Burl Bear, my name is so-and-so, and and I'm teaching a class in mass communications to 4th, 5th, and 6th graders this summer. And this week we're studying radio. And we took a vote in our class, and it turned out to be that you were their favorite disc jockey. Could I please come down to the station and interview you on behalf of my class? which did not exist. Oh. And please let me know, you know, if that would be okay. And so, awesome. my, so my mom is like, uh. oh my God, you're going to go to jail. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Oh, you're you gonna...
1: told your mom about Well,
2: she too. was, like, I was like kind of, you know, so mom, how does this sound? <laughs> I was very uh. open in my deceit. That's good. So she, uh, she really was, I think she was pretty horrified at her daughter. I don't know. She was just, I think I really did kind of shock her and maybe disappoint her a little bit that I was so deceptive. But anyway... So I, I mailed the letter off. That's when we had to use mail. Mm. and That's um paper Yes, stuff paper with stuff stamps. with a okay, stamp yeah. on it, yeah. And then about a week later, I got a call from the station, and they said, we got your letter, and yes, Mr. Rare would be more than happy to meet with you, you know, come down at this time, whatever. And so when I talked to the person, I said, well, so is there anything? Because, see, I had a plan. I was going to get a, you know, be his new girlfriend, so I said, well, is there anything I shouldn't mention to him? Is he touchy about anything? He goes, oh, no, he's a pretty easygoing guy. And you might want to ask him about his religion. He's this kind of weird religion called Baha'i. And he loves to talk about it. It's like, forget it. I'm taking a break from it. I mean, I didn't say that to the guy. Right. But... but when he told me that, in my mind, it's like, no, been there, done that. Not going there. So, fine. Goodbye. See you later. So now I have to go to work on all of my fake questions from my fake class so I can go do my fake interview. (laughs) So I came up with like about 32 fake questions like, how do you decide the format of the show? How many times an hour do you have to play the hits? Um... Oh, and by the way, the girls in my class want to know if you have a girlfriend or not. That oh, was like, of course, yeah, yeah, that was like that buried question. in there, like number twelve or thirteen. You know, question number twelve. Your or eyes 15. are looking down. Yeah, at like the okay, <laughs> so um, so I went. So there, now it was the big day. So I go down to the station, and he's you know handsome, tall, long, really long, like two feet long, black hair. That was back in the day. And very cordial, courteous, and we talked, I went through my whole list of questions, he answered them, and maybe I was there for an hour and a half, and he still hadn't made any moves, so I thought, well, you gave it your best shot, Pash, (laughs) go home with your dignity, (laughs) so I left, so meanwhile he was doing his show. While, we're, while we were talking. So he you know, like, that's in a Inagata Tevita by Iron Butterfly. Okay. And then he'd play like the long version of Light My Fire or, you know, all these seven or eight minute songs so that we could talk in between. So I left the broadcasting booth and um, one of the other guys in the station showed me around the FM show and where they did the weather and the teletype machine, which was an oh, ancient oh. piece of equipment now. So something... I don't know what, but something made me go back, and I knocked on the little broadcast booth door, and he said, you know, come on in. I said, well, there is one more thing I'd like to ask you about, but it's not why I'm here. I just heard you're kind of this weird religion called Baha'i. You know, what is that? And he said, oh, come on in and sit down. Yeah, think was really ready to <laughs> And <turn. laughs> so I was there for five hours after that and he told me really like from the beginning the inception of the Baha'i faith all the way through to its current administrative order Mm. and that was like a lot of information in Mm. one sitting and I kept throwing these Bible verses back at him like what about where it says this well what about where it says that And he would answer me very calmly and succinctly. And it's like, you know, the part that scared me was it made sense. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my spiritual education didn't make sense. Like in my mind, when I'd really ponder, well, like how could Jesus have died on the cross for me when he didn't know me? How were my sins washed away? I mean, like those kinds of questions Mm -hmm. as a young person. Um, or why would people go to hell if they never knew Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know, how could they be held responsible for that? Because mm-hmm. these were some of the teachings of my particular church. Right. I'm not really sure if they're the teachings of Jesus Christ. Right. So anyway, so he was able to answer, you know, everything. And so then I thought, okay, this is, this is the Antichrist. Because they said, it will come as a wolf in sheep's clothing. He will speak with the tongues of men and angels, but it will be hellfire. I don't Mm -hmm. know the rest of the quote. But anyway, so then I was petrified. because like, oh, no, no, I'm really going to hell because it sounds really good. I'm getting sucked into the vortex of evilness, you know. Mm -hmm. So I went home. I had a little purple Volkswagen Bug, 1963, and I loved that car. And I went home, all the way home in my little Bug, bawling my eyes out just crying, 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 At, mostly out of fear, because um, I just was worried that, you know, this wasn't true, and what had I done, and now I had listened, even listening was going to be a bad thing, so, oh, so I have to back up, uh, before I left that night, the radio station, he goes, well, you know, if you want to learn more, why don't you come to my house on Saturday, I'm going to have a little gathering, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, now he's finally making his move. Saturday night, his house. <laughs> you
1: really I mean, were really... thinking that? Oh yeah, like uh-huh. what
2: an ego did I have? You know, <laughs> jeez. So anyway, I apologize for that. I'm so ashamed of that. <laughs> anyway, so and he
1: was making a move, but a different kind of move. Well, I get. Well,
2: I found out later. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so we go. So I went to his house. I think he was living on Capitol Hill at the time, and um, I get there, and there's like 80 other people. So it's like, oh geez, fine. But really by this time I didn't care about him anymore. I was really interested and worried about mm-hmm. this thing he was I understand telling me. Yeah. yeah. So um Too to be true. Yeah, well and, and what he basically told me was he said, you know, Pasha, as a Christian, with the coming of Baha'u'llah, who is the messenger of the Baha'i Faith, Christianity has been fulfilled. The day you say you're waiting for has come. I was like, well, was I really waiting for it? I mean, am I really serious about it? Or is it, because if it doesn't come in the picture you have in your mind, then it hasn't happened,
1: mm-hmm. you know? The picture of Christ coming in the clouds and everyone will see. Right, right, right.
2: Time. So, yeah, so, and I told him that. I said, um, I don't know if we went into this discussion, like, at that time, but but I had that in my mind because we were taught, every eye shall see and every ear shall hear Mm -hmm. so you have this picture but now if you imagine how the universe is set up okay if Christ returns in Perth Australia how will the people in Iceland see him I mean it's physically impossible the laws of physics do not allow it to happen but what it does not say in the Bible is every eye shall see and every ear shall hear simultaneously Mm. it does not say simultaneously interesting so for me I began to realize this has to be a spiritual resurrection this has to be a spiritual return and that is how every eye can see and every ear can hear because the return of Christ can happen for each and every one of us that believe that Mm
1: -hmm.
2: in our own time in our own I had my resurrection day I Mm. had my Rapture,
1: mm-hmm.
2: all of those terms. I'm mm-hmm. starting to forget because I'm old now. But um, <laughs> you know some of those terms that we used to use so frequently when studying Revelation and all that kind of stuff. So okay, so um, so we get so I get to the meeting. Fine. There's a bunch of interesting, wonderful people there. They're all you know pretty normal. You know your basic assortment of college age intellectuals and hippies and whatever. So that night when I left his house he had given me like 20 books to take home and read like 20 big thick books written by the messenger of the Bahai faith which is one thing that is unique about the Bahai religion is the scriptures are written by the messenger himself mm-hmm. whereas you know Jesus didn't write the Bible Muhammad didn't write the Quran Um, So I went home and really my intent was, okay, I'm going to read these books and I'm going to do a little cross-referencing and show that these Baha'is are wrong. Mm -hmm. So the more I read and the deeper I studied, it just started to become very clear to me that a lot of what I had been taught was man-made or ritualistic superstition, whatever, you know, it wasn't really the, the, you could live without it. It wasn't the crux of the message of Christ. Mm -hmm. So here's the kind of mystical part, which, you know, I'm really not, well, I don't know, maybe I, I I believe in that stuff now, because why not? You know, I mean, stuff happens. So here I am, 18 years old, in my teenage bedroom, in my house with my mom. And I wake up and it's like 6.30 in the morning. This was August 1st, 1974. Um, I woke up and sat up in my bed kind of like Frankenstein, you know, like you're, I just sat up straight and it was like the top of my head was cut open and opened up like a lid and all of this white light was coming into my body, just through my whole body and I'm just sitting there that's in what, my bed. That's what it
1: felt like or you actually had a... Oh, a no, no, that, that's, no,
2: that's what it felt like. Let uh-huh. me just say, I, you know, I felt, I felt my eyes were closed, but I felt like this white light was coming all the way through my body. Mm-hmm. and I could hear the angels la, in the background and it's like this is really weird <laughs> something wow. really weird is happening and it was when I woke up it's like Pasha Christ has returned give it up this is it and I let go I let go of my fear I let go of my preconceived ideas I let go of really everything I'd ever been taught and I I believed. And
1: Could you, um, while well, I know it goes beyond cognitive and belief, can you put into words what you felt like you believed at the time, that Baha'u'llah was the latest incarnation? Right, was, was uh, first
2: of all the return uh, of Christ. And it helped me love my christianity more than i did when i was a christian it mm. helped it make more sense it became so much richer and deeper for me mm. than what i was being taught in you know whatever in the system as it were um and i also i was afraid that i would lose jesus if i became a bahai mm. and i didn't want to lose mm-hmm. jesus mm. and when i really trusted god when i really just Let go of the fear. It all became okay. I didn't have to. I didn't lose Jesus. Jesus was did exactly what he said he was going to do for me, Mm -hmm. which was to return with a new name, to come with the songs of angels, to you know all of that kind of stuff. So, um, so I floated out to my kitchen where the phone was. I really don't remember walking. I mean, of course I did, but and I called Burl. And I said, Burlbear, the guy. And I said, um, I, can't, I can't resist it anymore. I mean, I just, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted, and I, I give up. You know, I want to be a Baha'i. And he goes, well, okay, you're a Baha'i. And he said, just come to my house tonight, and you sign a little card. And basically, it's just to register you as a Baha'i with the National Center, which is located in Wilmette. So I went over to his house, and I signed this card. And he said, well, today is the Feast of Perfection and you are the perfect addition to the Feast of Perfection. So that's how I remember the day that I declared or became a Baha'i was the Baha'i calendar is 19 months of 19 days each. And the first of every month of Baha'i month is named after one of the attributes of God. And it's called the Feast Day. And so Baha'is all over the world gather together in their local community and have the Baha'i Feast. So it would be like, like church if you want to have an example. But because we don't have a building of church, wherever there's nine or more believers, we gather together and have the 19-day feast. Mm-hmm. So August 1st was the feast day, which I didn't know anything about the administrative order when I became a Baha'i. I just knew that Christ had returned. So that
1: was... So did you and he hook up that night?
2: <laughs> Me, no. <laughs> so whatever happened to... Yeah. No, actually, I, I found out later that he was lying... He's to me, gay. no, <laughs> he had a girlfriend and they had, they got married like within the next six months and she was darling and wonderful and all that. So, but I didn't care about him anymore. Yeah. Christ had returned. So who need yeah. girl bear? So yeah, but I had told this story so many times to so many people and they said, you know, have you ever told him? And it's like, no, I have never told him the truth about that night. So I finally told him like 15 years after the fact. And of course he was well married with children and all that stuff. And then he said, well, Pasha, it's good to know you came under the shadow of Baha'u'llah through Lion DC. It's so, <laughs> like, you know, we all get there somehow, so That's that awesome. was my way.
1: I love it. Well, you know, the Bible's full of stories of, 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 of there's like, I think it's called craftiness, or <laughs> cleverness. When it's like good guys supposedly doing it, then it's cleverness. Yeah. Like, bad people, then it's lying. Yeah. So it's like, you just kind of... Very dressing.
2: resourceful. Yes, yes. Resourceful. very, very you resourceful. You were a very resourceful,
1: <laughs> wise, crafty wise as a
2: snake. So then that I one. have then... to say, when I became a Baha'i then my mom freaked out. Mm. So she wrote to Billy Graham. About and this, it. now this is during the Hare Krishna era too. You know, when there was a lot of Hare Krishna uh-huh. people on the corners of Seattle, you know, don't know with their symbols and everything. And um, so my mom kind of she was a little confused. Even though I had explained everything, she just couldn't, she wasn't hearing me at all. Mm-hmm. So she wrote to Billy Graham and asked him about the Baha'i Faith. And their organization, I know it wasn't Billy Graham personally, but their organization wrote her a letter back that said, you know, yes, we're praying for many of those who have left the fold. We can recommend a couple of books. Baha'iism and other cults by XYZ or whoever, of course, written by a non-Baha'i, I'm sure. Yes, and um, some other book, and she she shows me there She goes, "See, see, look at this. You're going to L. You're going to go to L." And I really, I loved her more at that moment than I ever loved her ever. To that she, I she loved me so much that she she really cared about me. You yeah. know, I mean,
1: you know, so. that's something that I think. You know, taking a little purple moment here. I think that what you just said is something that a lot of people could really learn from in that when they have pushy Christians, evangelical, you know, um, and not not always is this the case. Motives can be mixed. But a lot of times when they're getting that pushiness, when they're getting the sales pitch, when people seem really concerned, that it's not always a sale. It's not always, uh, that there often is motivated out of love Mm -hmm. and genuine care because that belief system is Mm -hmm. if you don't, do this, then, you know, and you really care for someone, mm-hmm. they're going to experience yeah. eternity apart yeah. from God. So, it's it's neat that you have the compassion to look at that, and to, that you saw it in that way. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people could be helped if they saw the fear that is going on inside other people's minds and hearts. Mm-hmm. That's motivated. Well, and,
2: you know, in my mind, I I hadn't turned my back on Christ. Right. So, it was like there was nothing really to worry about, Mom. Really, truly. I wish I could have comforted her. Mm-hmm. But she... She was not hearing me. She couldn't, you know. And, you know, a lot of times with anything, your family is sometimes the hardest to, you know, share your most intimate things with. Because, whatever, they know you too well. (laughs) Or it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Not you, you know. So, I don't know why she wasn't hearing me. If it was, you know, based on her fear of my eternal life. Or just that there were too many weird words that Mm -hmm. I was saying. Or the vocabulary. Or... You know, this came from the Middle East, but right. so did Christianity. So did, yeah, no, but, I mean, and so people did talk all about the, the Western yeah. religions. I'm like, do you
1: realize that actually <laughs> yeah. all religions are there Eastern? There are no religions? Western,
2: yeah. well, native religions yeah. and stuff like that. The Western but, yeah.
1: Christianity can almost be a religion in itself, but we won't go there. <laughs> and then that, so that was around when you're 18, and so it, you've just been kind of growing in it. Has it been a up and down time as far as how much you really adhere and believe in it, or are there times? Or has it been kind of all, like, just growing and getting to know more and believing stronger and stronger?
2: My belief is always strong, but my fervor, you know, sometimes it's just enough to, like, rather than save the world, I'll just make sure I have dinner on the table that day for my family. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's my service to humanity for that day, literally. You know, or I've kept my kids alive for one more day. (laughs) You know, because we're crazy in this country. We're so overbooked and driving around and doing all that kind of stuff to really try to stay say, what is my primary purpose what is my primary goal and and i'm a kind of person i'm a really extreme person like yes i'm gonna go save the world yeah. meanwhile i've got 18 loads of laundry at home to do you know so it's like teaching me to be practical and one of the one of the teachings of the baha'i faith is moderation in all things including religion hmm including religion. So, so fanaticism is not really a desirable quality. <laughs> but let me tell you the story of how I met my husband. Yes. Okay, so so now I'm a Baha'i for a couple of years, and I'm participating in my local Baha'i community, which was like maybe 20 people. They were wonderful. And, um, and I sing professionally. So my mom would go anywhere to hear me sing. So I was in this group with three other girls called the Tender Tones, of course, I was the head tone. Um, <laughs> and we sang stuff like the Andrews sisters, like really tight four part a cappella harmony. So it was a big Baha'i holiday, Nauru's, New Year. And we were invited by the Seattle Baha'i community. I lived in Burien. So Baha'i communities are divided by uh, currently like civic boundaries, like, you know, Gig Harbor, right, or Tacoma, okay. whatever. So we were invited by the Seattle Metro Baha'i community to come and sing at their Nauru's party, which was at the top of the Smith Tower, a big skyscraper, well, it's not big anymore, in, uh, in downtown Seattle. So I said, Mom, do you want to come? We're going to sing tonight. She goes, oh, I'd love to come. And I thought, this will be good because she'll see lots of Baha'is. There's going to be like 400 people. She'll see there's grandmas, there's kids, there's moms, there's dads, Whatever. So we drove downtown, we parked the car, and then we had to drive like five or six blocks. And my mom was really short. She's like five foot two, and I'm five foot eight, for those in your listening audience. So when I would um, put my arm around my mom, she'd like come right to my armpit. So we'd be walking, and we were walking from our car to the Smith Tower, and the Hari Krishna people were on the corners. Like oh, every, no. every corner every corner in downtown Seattle between our car and the Smith Tower. And so she's, we're at the corner, and she's just looking straight ahead because she was a good Lutheran woman from Minnesota. And she, she wouldn't look around her either side to side. And I hugged her, and I said, Mom, that's what you think the Baha'is are, isn't it? She goes, Yes, I'm sorry, I do. <laughs> and I said mom look at me look at them look at me <laughs> do you see there's I mean you know there's a difference mom so we go we go to the place so we go up the elevator and now the big party's happening so I'm looking for my fellow tender tones to kind of group up and how, when are we going to go on blah 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 and across the room I see a tall, dark, handsome
1: man. And it's not Burl.
2: And it's not Burl. Who cares about him? I'm so over him. Anyway, so my mom saw this man too. And she grabs me. She goes, Who is that? Oh my God. I said, I don't know. And I like couldn't breathe. I said, oh, I don't know. Oh, I've never seen him before. She goes, He looks like Omar Sharif. Oh, my God. He looks like Omar Sharif. It's like, mother. Now, mind you, all of our life, she had raised three girls on her own. It's like, stay away from boys. Boys only want one thing. They're no good. They're this. They're that. Never use your money. Never drive your car. Never call boys. So she sees this man. She goes, go meet him. Go, go, go find out who that is. It's like, mom, <laughs> go for what it. happened to you after wow. all these years? I was like just shocked, shocked. So I didn't. I mean, it was just too, even for me, I have my boundaries. It's like, I'm not going to go. But I did know that when we got up to sing, he would see us up there singing.
1: Uh, so, putting yes. on the Ritz.
2: Yeah so when we got up to sing in the front I could see him way in the back leaning up against the wall looking very dark and mysterious in an Armani suit or something like that and you know he was watching the the gig so it's like okay that's enough for me so we went home my, me and my mom and then the next month was another Baha'i holiday and we got asked to sing again at some other function and he was so there was all this fabulous exotic food so I went to the kitchen to give my compliments to the chef, and it was
1: him. He was the chef? Yes. Oh.
2: He had cooked for like 200 people.
1: Uh-huh. And I said- And you really didn't know that? No!
2: I didn't. I went like, oh, hi. <laughs> um, hi. Hi.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, hi. My is Pasha. Um, I really liked the food that you made. Oh, Boy, do
1: you cook. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you, you're hot. You're really I mean...
2: sizzling, yeah. <laughs> So I just like got all blubbery over myself. It was just stupid. So I had I had business cards with me all the time, just said Pasha and then my name my number. And I said, Well, you know, what's your name? <laughs> you know, how old are you? Where do you live? Where are you from? And he could really not speak English hardly at all. He'd only been here like two months.
1: Huh?
2: While I'm talking to him, he had wrapped up this food, he goes, Please take this home for your mom. It's like for my mom? Oh, he saw me with my mom that night. So he was watching me. Oh, this is good. (laughs) So I said, well, you know, if you ever need help with your English or whatever, just give me a call. I have a car. You don't have a car. I mean, we we sort of found out about each other. So I went home that night, and I think I got home about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I woke my mom up out of bed. I was like, Mom, remember that guy? Remember Omar Sharif? I met him tonight. (laughs) And his name is like a mile long. I said, so if someone calls that you can't understand anything they're saying, it's him. <laughs> Don't hang up. <laughs> so it took about two weeks for him to call. And then I made a point of whenever we saw each other, because it was always like Baha'i functions, like some kind of party or meeting or service project or youth group or whatever. So whenever we met, I would say, so are you going to go to that thing next week? You know, And I would always make sure that, there was something coming ahead, like if he needed a ride or whatever. So it took me about a year, but I finally ground him down and made him beg to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would tell it a little bit different, but. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so we met actually on Nauru's and we were married the next Nauru's. So you were
1: how old then? 21. So it was just a couple of years after you had become, become a high yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And now here you are and you have how many kids? Three children. Three children. I'm 50. And they are all, How? what are their ages again? Uh,
2: Alexei Saba, I'll see, he's 23. 23 or 24, sorry, honey. I <laughs> and then my second son, Andre Zia, is 19, up and coming filmmaker and architect. And my daughter, Anushka Leva, she's 11.
1: Now, are they all Baha'is?
2: They are. I'm very, this is one, if I die tomorrow, Leif, I'm telling you, if I die tomorrow, I will die a happy person because each of my children has their own relationship with God. They're not doing it at, to please their parents. They're not doing it to look good in public. They're not doing it to, for any other reason than they, they have their own relationship. And I, I really credit their parents... <laughs> my husband and myself, because we didn't raise them to be fanatic about anything, including their own faith, and, and, and you know, whatever, their, ex- I'm sure they have their own experience, they would say, mm-hmm. but from a parent's perspective, they saw their father and I struggle with life and how we solved our problems using spiritual ideas or whatever, but it was never used as a weapon of, well, you know, what would, what would Baha'u'llah want you to do about that? You know, who yeah. knows?
1: I mean, we're W-w- not the
2: messenger of God. <laughs> yeah. <What> <laughs> you w know,
1: W B D. Yeah, we B- never used yes.
2: our, our faith to um, vilify our children or guilt them into anything, or um, and, and that was very conscious, very conscious decision on my husband's and my part. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think it was, but maybe it was something completely different, like um, because daily prayer is a is a law in the Baha'i faith. <laughs> the obligatory prayer. Now, by a law,
1: can you explain what you mean by a law?
2: Um, one of the things, if you say you believe, then mm-hmm. this is one of the things that you do, that you are willing to do.
1: And if you don't, if then you don't, you in then sense you have committed a sin. No, no,
2: no. Then you're you just maybe you don't receive the bounty of you know do, okay. you know it's like your own choice. It's <laughs> not like you've done something to yourself. Okay. You can either fill up your gas tank or not fill up your gas tank. Right. You just won't have gas. You know, so you can sit there and cry about it Mm -hmm. or go get the gas anyways. But I remember, um, with really with all three of my children at various ages, um, maybe for some reason I would go into their bedroom. Like maybe I had a load of laundry real quickly and I couldn't knock on the door and it was like, mom, you're interrupting my prayers. And it was like, wow, you know, like they weren't doing it for anybody Uh to see them or, Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things, as a mother, I really, I know who my kids are. They're not, they don't have one face in public and one face anywhere That's else. Awesome. And I really, really, if I die tomorrow, thank you. That's perfectly fine. Me. Yeah. Huh.
1: What about, um, one thing I'm really curious about, because I've, you know, my own story is a complex spiritual journey. Also, Next time
2: I'll interview you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I'm always curious to know, apart from... The ideas, the beliefs, the talking, the kind of sales pitch that we all get tempted into—go into, you know, why? You know, I heard you the other day, saying One, one thing that all religions have in common is they all think they're right. <laughs> I think you said that right. Um, on an actual experiential level, as a Baha'i, uh, which branched out of uh, Islam, right? was, I mean, in the sense that its origins, its, its womb. Was in the You Muslim could say world. It, it, you know, Christianity branched out of Judaism. Yes, in that similar kind of way. Um, and therefore, is a theistic religion. And um, believing in a God who is relational. Do you, And and really don't just answer me like this because it's the right thing to say. Do you feel like you really have this relationship? And how... What's, what is sacramental to you? Or or what what are the ways that you enter into and experience God? Is it really dramatic? And st- like that time you had mm-hmm. when the light came, have you had a lot of things like that? Is it sort of the gentle, still, quiet voice that's like, is that me thinking or is that yeah. God? Or, you know, what kind of is a, how do you experience God? Mm-hmm. For someone like myself, maybe, who is in transition and struggling to even know, does God really care mm-hmm. and is pr- present? You know, what mm-hmm. what's your experience?
2: Well, I think you know that's the limiting thing about experience—is it's so individualistic, you know. Mm-hmm. And for someone that maybe hasn't had a mystical experience, doesn't mean mm-hmm. that their faith is any less, you know. So, so I don't know if that necessarily. And well, you asked me the question, so I'll answer it. Okay, um, I've had that one white light resurrection day thing. <laughs> and I had one other thing when I was visiting a Baha'i holy place in Iran but if I had never had any of that it does not diminish the reality of this faith the mm-hmm. truth of this faith that I believe or my, my devotion to this faith totally, I
1: understand that Yeah.
2: And, yeah. Um, so like, like I guess kind of what I hear you saying is like from a Christian like Jesus was my savior I have mm-hmm. a personal relationship like that um, it's the same for me. I, I don't know if i just superimposed that matrix over it, um, but I have a personal relationship with Baha'u'llah. Mm-hmm. I still thank Jesus when I get a good parking spot. So I go, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you. You know, and my daughter was telling me the other day, she goes, Mom, I don't know. I just really love Jesus. I said, Lucky. I, and I said, Is that because I'm always thanking Jesus for everything? <laughs> for Jesus. Parking she hears me thank Jesus all the time. um but I think part of it is, what I was saying before, is the daily prayer keeps you in spiritual contact. And, you know, I see as a Western person who's like, hey, I'm independent, I'm on my own, I'm free, I'm a democratic society person. Um, to have obligatory prayer is a humbling it's like your, your decision is taken out of it. If you mm-hmm. say you believe, then this is what you do. Mm-hmm. And just shut up. Mm-hmm. You know, this is of course my interpretation. Yeah. You know? um, but what also it is, is as, as a Christian who was a lot, of, I had have, have still a lot of guilt and oh my gosh, it was my fault and, or let's blame somebody else or whatever. Um, it takes my emotion out of it. Like some days you feel worthy to pray. And other days you feel like this wretch and terrible, and I'm not worthy of God's love, and I'm such a mm-hmm. sinner, or whatever. The obligatory prayer erases all of that, and you just pray regardless. Mm-hmm. It removes all of the roller coaster of emo. Mm-hmm. You just still on your roller coaster, but it right. has nothing to do with okay. But, and you're still going to pray.
1: Right. What comes you know? to my mind is in a marriage, you could almost use a similar word in that you know, hey, communication is going to be obligatory in our marriage. We You know, if you're going to be married to me, you have to communicate with me daily. You're not saying I'm going to get a divorce or arrest you if you don't. You're saying... Which people do. Yeah, Yeah. right, (laughs) right. And in in one sense, I guess if you completely shut off, then it's questionable does the relationship exist. But what I hear you saying in that sort of obligatory sense is that the relationship that you have and that's been... It's kind of like God as our... Lover says mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. to stay the in beloved, this relationship. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to stay in contact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I guess here's my a little bit more difficult question, and let me just try and tweak it again. It's not so much the question of what are you saying to God, and what are you doing and serving. I'm curious what you. This is a hard. How question How do
2: I receive the message? Yeah,
1: and do or do how or do you? And how is how is God's part in that relationship? You know, if you're the beloved, it's like. Is it daily high times? Is it like desert? Hey, where the heck are you, mm-hmm. God? Um, mm-hmm. Or what, you know? All of
2: it. All of it. <laughs> all of it at all times, yeah. I mean, I think for everyone, you know, we just go through our basic human emotions every some days are up, some days are down. Um, for me, I, there is a constant, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the piece.
1: What's the constant? Is,
2: is just knowing, okay, there, there is a foundation I can go to, whether I feel like it or whether I... Believe it even I I can depend on that foundation because that is the unchanging thing I'm the thing that changes
1: What's the constant though? Is it a be, is, is is the, the belief? The, the, the...
2: the spiritual teachings the truth the yeah. reality of this word that that has been the same word mm-hmm. over thousands and thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of years mm-hmm. and you know when Christ said ye shall know them by their fruits mm-hmm. we have to see what has stood the test of time The spiritual truths, the things that have inspired humanity for art and music, and all of the things that have made us better as a human race are the truth. Mm -hmm. The things that are dragging us down is the lie, or it's a distortion of the truth. It's a distortion of the truth. Thinking, you know, superior, inferior, um, you know, rich, poor, intellectual, stupid. You know, all of those kinds Mm -hmm. of things are... so. so for me personally, yeah, sometimes the reason I wash the dishes is because to be clean is, is a virtue. Sometimes that's the only reason.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it doesn't mean that some days I just freaking don't wash the dishes. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if I'm really, you know, I, I guess. You are
1: so, let me. I'm going to bring it really home. How's this? Right now. You believe, and I do too, but probably in, who knows, probably actually very similar ways. God, God is right there. It's right there. It's right here in the room.
2: In that plankton out in, in the canal there. That's right.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, sense God's presence right now? Mm hmm
2: well I don't know if I was talking to you about flowers the other day I mean I'm like a flower freak I used to be a floral designer but you know it's like oh she's a girl she likes flowers no there's, there's a quote in, in the Baha'i writings that says something 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 and all the worlds of God
1: oh yeah That's a good.
2: flower is a world of God uh, an eyelash uh, I mean I really somehow for recently in the past three or four years that phrase all the worlds of God have been coming up for me mm-hmm. the world of the atom you know then you break that now there's another world to discover inside that now there's another it's just mm-hmm. I don't know I mean I, I just say you know if you don't believe in God look at an orchid mm-hmm. really look at that thing look at the geometry the architecture the mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I run out of words. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, or, or the place we live, you know, the Pacific Northwest. It's just, we have every, the mountains. I mean, it just sounds so cliche, but. No, 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 it's true. But it really, you know, so beauty, all the worlds of
1: God. The beauty that you see in creation, the. the truth and the, beauty is the, truth. the mm-hmm. beauty is
2: the truth. The beauty is the truth. The ugliness is the distortion of the truth, mm-hmm. you know, so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: So where you live right now, you said it takes nine or more to actually have a,
2: kind an, of assembly.
1: a an assembly. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, well, let, let me just share my limited understanding. So if, if there's one Baha'i anywhere alone out in the desert or whatever, that's mm-hmm. the Baha'i community. Mm-hmm. So if there's nine or more adults in that community, 21 or over, then you can elect what's called the local spiritual assembly. Okay. And then you have, but there are many people all over the world that are single Baha'is in isolated areas, right. and that they're the community. Well, it, you know? for our
1: listeners, if you didn't know that the Baha'i faith is actually, apart from Christianity, the single most spread wor- religion in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's the most diversely spread amongst countries.
2: And its publications are translated into lots and lots of different yeah. languages, yeah. which I should know that number, but I don't. Over <laughs> 200 languages, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, these children here, a lot of them are the only Baháís in their schools. Mm. You know, from Spokane, Tacoma, Seattle, Yakima, whatever. So to come together and have a hundred Baháí kids together, they mm. they really need it. I bet they do. They yeah. need it and they love it. Not you know, because it's it's lonely. You yeah. know
1: Do they? I notice that a lot are of you know a, um, an ethnic background, probably Persian, as that's the, my, the majority birthplace. birthplace. Mm-hmm. Um, is that in the Seattle area still sort of demographically h- much higher than sort of your typical Anglo-American? Or
2: Because the Baha'i faith began in Iran, the country of its birth. The, the largest concentration of Baha'is at one point was in Iran. I do not know if that's still true because mm-hmm. of all of the persecution that's been going on in Iran with the Baha'is. I think um, maybe... I can't. Re- I don't want to say what other country may have overtaken the population, if it even has at all. But um, so there's been a lot of movement of the Persian Bahais throughout the world, and many have come to the United States. So consequently, there's there's quite a population in in a, I would say a lot of the major
1: cities. Mm. Okay, I can't remember exactly right now, but in the last conversation I had with some Baha'i friends, um, there framing of what happened on the cross and what the nature of, um, of salvation and what happened on the cross, um, seemed to vary somewhat significantly from, um, traditional quote unquote Christianity. And that would obviously be a, since it's, as you call it, the crux literally means the cross. Um, what is your understanding of a Baha'i's perspective of what happened on the cross and why. So take whichever question you want to do first. <laughs> <Uh-oh>, <laughs> by, by the way, for the, for, Uh-oh, for the listeners... Uh-oh, time for me to go to
2: archery now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she just fainted at am trying to... Uh, <laughs>
2: no. Oh, man. Wow, those are... Sheesh. Um, okay. Well, so you tell me what you think the cross... Re- refresh me.
1: Okay. I would have... This I, I don't. This is not my perspective of the cross, but I'm gonna. I'll try and rephrase what I understand. Okay. Um, a more traditional Christian understanding of the cross is traditional Christian understanding of the cross in America and in this last thousand years is takes a what would be called a penal substitution understanding of the cross. In that humanity, kind of like a court system, humanity had this debt that um, it had to pay God because of its sins, and that it could not repay that debt because we're imperfect, and it needed the perfect sacrifice, and that built off of the Jewish understanding of the sacrificial system, and that Christ, uh, which sort of foreshadowed that, and Christ as the Lamb was Mm. that final sacrifice, perfect sacrifice to God. So um, God needed the sacrifice because God couldn't like us and couldn't accept us because of our imperfection, And only through the blood of Christ, which gets complicated when you try and ask Mm -hmm, Christians mm -hmm. what that really means. You know, was it a sacrifice to God or to the devil or Mm -hmm, to humanity? Who got paid off? Mm -hmm. A debt was paid. And when one believes that and trusts in that um, payment, that one is then made right with God, justified with God.
2: So through him we are washed clean something like
1: that i'm trying to yeah. remember there's lots some of, of different the phrases, phrases. Yeah. and and you know a lot of christians i think just say the phrases and when you're honest with them they don't really understand that's, that's where phrases. i was it's right. like
2: i got to a point where like wait a minute now let's just really break this down grammatically right. or whatever right. okay but what what i kind of heard when you were talking to me was like god could not accept
1: right uh,
2: so there's something god
1: cannot do Good I mean, puzzle. let's, let's
2: but, talk about that, shall
1: we? Or they would maybe say God could, but the only way God could would be offering the sacrifice, and that's why it had to be made.
2: Okay, so this is like finite minds yeah. trying to confine the infinite, really. Yes. We're trying to confine so that it makes sense to us, maybe. Because there's there's a phrase, and I, you know, really... We're really encouraged in the Bible faith to memorize, memorize, memorize. And so now I'm paraphrasing grotesquely. But there's a phrase that something to the effect of no matter what name or praise I give to thee, that's not what you are. Mm-hmm. To, uh, talking about God. No, I can praise thee for every minute of every day of every year of my life, and it's, it will never be enough. Mm-hmm. No matter what I say powerful counselor omnipotent omniscient it's not what it is it's so much even if we say bigger it's so much bigger that's still a a,
1: right you know it's it's
2: a limiting word right so no matter what we say that ain't what it is so it's baha'u'llah talks about that god is the unknowable essence he will he has been and will forever be veiled before the eyes of mortal men. And it's only through his manifestation that we can understand this, this idea. And we, and we still can't understand. You know, we, have, we can only understand so far. So, yeah. so, so the whole idea of, well, God couldn't accept this unless it was done XYZ way, mm-hmm. that's one part that I have issue with now as a Baha'i. Um, another part is the crucifixion itself, as everyone knows, is you know being hung on a cross was very common. So that act in itself was not unique. I mean, that was the common way to, you know, kill, kill people, people, execute animals, yeah. people. So what? So in that sense, Christ was no different than whoever else was hanging on a cross physically.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the the thing that made Christ different was. Not really his birth, not really his death, but his life. And the teachings that changed the face of humanity, that's the living Christ. That is the living Christ. Mm -hmm. The death was a moment in time. That doesn't necessarily help me today. Mm -hmm. What will help me today is his teachings, the life-giving spirit the water of life, the bread of life. Oh mm-hmm. boy, I haven't said these things in a long time. I remember. They're still back there in my brain. So, so the I know there is a lot of emphasis in Christianity on the birth of Christ and the death of Christ, but philosophically you could argue either if you took both of those away, would it diminish the position of Christ?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, to this Christian camp it would because something foundational and Happened in our relationship with God because of that. Death. Of those events, yes. From that perspective, I'm not saying that. That's again what I agree with. Right, you. right, right. So that's why I was right. trying to see.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Now and see, for me, it doesn't matter to me how he was born, how he died. What what the truth of him is his life and his teachings. That's what changes my human heart and mm-hmm. my gives me motivation mm-hmm. to. You know, the fact he was hung on a cross, well, so were thousands of other people. Mm -hmm. So that physical action itself is not necessarily the thing that distinguishes Christ for me. That's me. Mm -hmm. Now, if you interview any other Baha'i, you're going to get a completely different different answer. Yes. So I should just say for your listeners that there is no clergy in the Baha'i faith that we're all responsible for, you know, deepening ourselves in the spiritual teachings on our own, which... Um, So everyone is speaking from their own understanding. So if whatever I'm saying is, you know, irritating people, it's because I'm irritating. (laughs) 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 And that they should still investigate the teachings of Baha'u'llah and don't let me stand in the way of, you know, them finding out for themselves. Which is another principle is personal investigation of the truth. You must see with your own eyes and not through the eyes of your neighbor. Hmm. Sure. The human soul, my understanding, the human soul is the, is the sign of God on earth. The fact that we have a soul is proof of the existence of God. So everyone that's here has a soul. So regardless of your... Um, um, regardless of whatever persuasion you are, of wherever, you know, poor, rich, gay, straight, you know, fat, skinny... The value of your soul is the same because as Baha'is we believe that the teachings of Baha'u'llah and our purpose for living on this earth is to create an ever advancing civilization there are certain uh, codes of conduct and behaviors that are beneficial to humanity as a whole and we we have to Baha'u'llah talks about let your vision be world embracing Not just your neighborhood, not just your little house. Mm
1: -hmm. We do have to put a pause to this now, Um, and I hope you've enjoyed the show, and uh, thank you so much, Pasha, and I just, uh, when I think of your name, Pasha, I definitely think of someone who's very passionate, (laughs) and uh, who has just been really fun talking with you, and I hope that we get to continue to talk. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was a great interview. I learned a lot. Really fascinating lady, Pasha, and uh, I... Hope to get to have some more times talking to her. I've always been drawn, in some ways, to uh, the Baha'i faith. uh, Its inclusive nature and the way it sort of endorses that God has been present in all places and cultures and speaking to people. And um, I only know a tiny bit about Baha'i, so but it definitely draws me to learn some more. These people that have been here over this weekend, some of the kids, particularly. stand out is just amazingly mature and uh, educated and kind people and uh, just a really good sparkle in their eyes that I trust. So, it's a good thing.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Pasha Mahajar by Leif Hansen from his Bleeding Purple podcast. You can find more information about Leif's podcast at the website www.wonderosity.org. That's W-O-N-D-E-R-O-S-I-T-Y dot O-R-G. If you want information on the Baha'i faith specifically, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org. That's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G. Or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. trouble Listening to WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.